0: There, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Ashfield Sermon Podcast, Great Church in Sydney's Inner West, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Gracious and Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you long to be known, even as you know us, uh, and so you've written down for us uh, who you are in the words of, uh, of the scriptures, uh, in the the books of the Bible, uh, so that we might discover who you are, see who you are, learn who you are, uh, be drawn closer into your embrace uh, and know you through these words. Uh, we thank you, Father, that you've spoken to us in the person of the Lord Jesus, and especially that in those pages we meet him, uh, our saviour and redeemer. And so, Father, as we read your word together tonight, we ask that you would uh, indeed do your work in our hearts by your spirit, that you would be showing us yourself more and more clearly, drawing us nearer and nearer to the Lord Jesus. Do this work in us, we pray, as we read your word tonight. Amen. The first reading this evening is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. You'll see it on the screen, and I'll give you a page number in a second too. You never expect numbers to be as long as it is. It takes a lot more flicking than you think to get to Deuteronomy. There you go. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning of verse 25. It's page 141, if you're following along uh, in our Pew Bibles. When you have had children and children's children and become complacent in the land, if you act corruptly by making an idol in the form of anything, thus doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed." The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, only a few of you will be left among the nations where the Lord will lead you. There you will serve other gods made by human hands, objects of wood and stone that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. From there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and soul. In your distress, when all these things have happened to you in the time to come, you will return to the Lord your God and heed him because the Lord your God is a merciful God he will neither abandon you nor destroy you. He will not forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them. And our second reading is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. It's on the screen again. And again, if you're reading along in one of the pupils, it's on page 862. John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We've found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God so um, over to you before um, I unpack this a little bit further any things that uh, the Lord has put on your heart that you've uh, had your attention drawn to questions um, about these passages from God's word this evening isn't that a great question yeah I don't know it's a good question what is the place of human effort in seeking God Hmm. in knowing God God, yeah Coming coming to know yeah for sure yeah, um, <clears throat> uh it's not supposed to be QA, and A, but I'll just give you. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll say one thing about it because um, uh, uh, this is a just a hobby horse of mine. One of the things that the gospel does to you, right, is, is renew what what philosophers and ethicists call your agency. You can't do stuff really when you're when you're lost in sin because sin enslaves you, and you do stuff that's your res- responsibility, but you kind of get lost in it as well. And the gospel actually makes it possible again to to. Do stuff that honors the Lord in a different kind of way as you put your trust in him. And so, you know, there's this funny way in the scriptures where you do stuff that leads you to the Lord, and God also does stuff in you by a spirit that leads you to the Lord, and both of those things are true at the same time. Anyway, we should talk about it talk about it more sometime. Good question, thank you. Other thoughts, things that you've noticed, questions that you've had, Ben? Doesn't happen that often in the New yeah. Testament. Yeah, and I think the reason for it here particularly um, is that uh, John, who wrote, writes this gospel a little bit later than the, the the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, is writing probably primarily to Greek speakers. And so he wants to preserve some of the um, Hebrew Aramaic language and names because he wants to say, this is my actual eyewitness testimony about what's going on in the life of Jesus. But he wants to also make sure that the, his Greek readers understand what those things mean. And so there's a few times in, in John and in, in the other gospels from time to time too, where there's this kind of translation. And what's happening there is going, Messiah is a Jewish word, anointed is the Greek equivalent. And then in English, you kind of lose it a bit because you know they're both translated into English. Um, but that's what's going on there, I think. Yeah, good pickup. Anyone else? Cool. This is fun. We're going to do, keep doing this during January in this series just because it's a good thing to do, to hear what God puts on your hearts as we hear his word read as well. So I'm going to unpack this uh, passage from John particularly a little bit more for us. And um, one of the things that that you'll notice is that Jesus begins by asking a question. And we're doing this all the way through January. We're engaging with questions that Jesus asks because questions matter, don't they? Questions matter in some ways uh, even more than answers matter. If you ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers, or at least you get answers that don't help that much because it might be the right answer for the question. But if it was the wrong question, who even cares? And sometimes we need help to ask the right questions. Often, I think, being helped to ask the right questions is a role that good friendships play in our lives. Uh, Good friends ask good questions. They ask the right questions. They know us well enough to ask things that really matter and will help us to see ourselves more clearly, to see our lives more clearly. They ask the questions that we need to have asked in order to move forward in our lives and to grow into the things that God leads us into. Um, So I'm going to throw up on the screen, if uh, Yvonne wouldn't mind uh, hitting next, uh, a slide. This is a few of my closest friends you'll see on the screen. Not a recent photo, obviously. Um, We were about 18, I think, when this was taken at the cricket one day. Uh, Sam and Josh are friends of mine from school. Uh, Josh and I uh, ended up going to Bible college uh, uh, together as well, Um, uh, uni and Bible college together. And the three of us are actually all now uh, ministers in Anglican churches. So be careful who you hang out with as teenagers. You never know what might happen to all of you as a group. Uh, the thing about my friendship with these guys is that we've known each other long enough now um, that the friendship's kind of just like locked in, like it's just kind of a fact of our lives. Uh, and, and that means that we're kind of just not worried about breaking it. It's just, we are friends. We've been friends for ages. We just, it's just how things are. And that means that you can do stuff to each other that you might not be able to do to other people. You can be honest in different ways that you might not be able to with other people because we just know that the friendship will endure that kind of thing. And that kind of friendship, that kind of good, close friendship, gives us freedom to ask each other real questions. Not just questions about the weather or the things that we've been watching or listening to or whether Dave Warner should be in the test team still, important questions though they are. But questions about what's really going on for each of us in our lives, in our hearts and in our souls. Uh, Even questions sometimes that are a bit pointed, questions that, that they know I need to hear. Real questions, deep questions, help us to get at the things that really matter. And if we wanna grow as people and to live a rich and fulfilling lives, lives of purpose and consequence, then those are the kinds of questions that we need to ask. And even more importantly, the kinds of questions we need to have asked of us. So, entered Jesus. Now, one of the things you notice when you read the gospels is that Jesus asks a lot of questions. Uh, the noted New Testament scholar, Google, tells me that Jesus asked 307 questions in total across the four New Testament gospel accounts. I don't do all my sermon research on Google, don't worry. And it was Angus, actually, who Googled this for me, so blame him. Uh, Because Jesus addressed all of those questions recorded in the scriptures to real people in real times and real places, we're able, as we read those texts, to imagine those questions being asked of us as well. If we were there in first-century Palestine and met Jesus in the flesh and he asked us those questions, what would we say? And that's a really worthwhile exercise. It's right and natural and good to do that as you read the narratives of the Gospels together. But we can actually go even further and say something even more profound than that. Because the Scriptures are God's own word to us, the text through which he addresses us and speaks to us by his Spirit, then when we hear Jesus ask those questions in the Gospels, we also rightly hear him asking those questions directly of us. Jesus asks us those questions too. Because Jesus, our friend, Jesus, the friend of sinners, asks the questions that we most need to have asked of us. And so we're going to take some time over January to engage with those questions, not with all 307 of them, mind you, just with four. And Jesus asks some of the most searching questions you'll ever hear. It's the perfect time of year to be hearing them, of course, the beginning of a new year with all the hopes and expectations, all the possibilities and perhaps even anxieties that a new year entails. Uh, Often it's a time of reflection for us, a time of setting our agenda for the time that God gives us in the year ahead. And what better way both to reflect and to look forward than to have Jesus' own questions guide us? And so that's what we're going to do. And as we do so, uh, our hope and prayer is to really actually hear these questions that the spirit would do his work as his word is read and taught so we would hear these questions from Jesus clearly and so let them do their work in our hearts to refine us and shape us and build us up that's what we're hoping for from this series and we kick off today with what is an absolutely fundamental question what are you looking for and together with that question we hear an invitation from Jesus in this passage he says to the disciples and to us come and see And so those are going to be our two points today. Firstly, Jesus' big question, and secondly, Jesus' humbling invitation. Point one, Jesus' big question. Uh, John the Evangelist, the writer of the Gospel, uh, reports for us here in this passage an encounter between Jesus and two of the disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, It takes place near the town of Bethany, where John the Baptist has been baptising. And John sees Jesus for the second day in a row and says, look, here's the Lamb of God. It's not entirely clear what what that phrase actually means, means, what, what what John meant by it in one sense. It's not a straightforward Old Testament phrase, but whatever it is from whatever he's been teaching about his preparing the way for the Messiah to his disciples, two of his disciples hear this and immediately they turn around and follow Jesus. It's a beautifully simple moment uh, on one level. They hear and they follow. And Jesus then turns and sees And what he does, he asks a question that gets to the very core of their being, a question that gets to the the core of our being as well. What are you looking for? Uh, Literally, the question is, what do you seek? Uh, The Greek verb that's used here implies not just a kind of casual looking around, not like just observing, oh, there's a tree. Not just about a simple act of observation, but about a striving, about a concerted effort to realise a desire or to reach an objective. And so the question can quite rightly be translated, as some of our other English translations do, as some of the commentators do, like this. What do you want? What do you want? It's a probing question. It's a deep question. And at one level, it's a way of asking, who are you, actually? Who are you? What is it that drives you deep down? Uh, What do you want? It's a question that gets right to the heart of things. It's a question about the heart about the deep desires and longings that drive us. And that's Jesus' question to us right here and right now. What do you want? Today, especially, perhaps you might turn your attention to what do you want for this next year? Uh, some of you might answer, I just want this year to be different to last year. I don't really care what it's like as long as it's different, something different to what the last year has been. Uh, perhaps some of you will answer, I want to succeed in a particular area of my work this, uh, this year. This, this is what I want. I want to, I want to win at this thing. Some of you might say, I want this to be the year that I finally buy a house or actually get to do the renovations I've been planning on, one that I already have. This is one um, more specifically for the 10 a.m. congregation, but for me as well. Uh, Perhaps what you want this year is more time with my kids or less time with my kids. Perhaps your answer to that question, what do you want, is I want a new adventure, Uh, not just to kind of end up in the same place again at the end of the year as where I started, Perhaps your answer is that I want to heal, I want to be a better person, or maybe it's just uh, I want apothecary to be open again so I can get a decent coffee. Tuesday, they're open on Tuesday. There's a whole spectrum of desires there, aren't there, from, from things that are really deep, really profound and serious, all the way through to things that are they're a little bit more mundane, a little bit silly, even trivial on one level. But they're all real desires and they're all right and proper in their own way. But what Jesus question here, what do you want? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What Jesus question here does is to push us to, to go even deeper than that, to, to ask what's the desire beneath those desires? What is driving you in those things? Why is it those things that you're most attached to, those things that you think will make your life better, will bring you joy, will make your, you what you want to be? What deeper need do those things speak to? Uh, Fascinatingly, this question is the first time in John's Gospel that Jesus speaks. Uh, John's told us already uh, that Jesus is the Word who came in flesh, and his first spoken word here is a question. Don't you find that interesting? I'm sure Jesus did say other things. It's not the first time he opened his mouth, but John's drawing our attention to something here. Jesus has this question for us, and it kind of sets the agenda, if you like, for the rest of the Gospel. There's a sense in which it's the question. The question beneath every question. The question in the end that the event of God's coming to us in human flesh forces upon us. What do you want? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Andrew and the other disciple, they know what they want. Uh, Andrew tells us when he says to his brother Simon, we've found the Messiah. They've been looking for the Messiah, the anointed, the promised one that God would send in order to set everything right. That's what the Messiah's job was going to be to set everything right from top to bottom, from the physical forces and power structures that make the world go around, right down to your everyday needs and relationships, and even all the way down into each human heart. The Messiah was the solution to everything, the one who would fix everything, make sense of everything, the one who would ensure the security and success and love that we all long for beneath all of those other things that we want. That's what these disciples wanted. That's what the promise of the Messiah meant. But we already start to see, even this early on in John, uh, what it means for Jesus to really actually be the Messiah, not just some kind of panacea for all ills, not just someone to call, kind of put a band-aid on the words, but to really actually solve the problem. And we see it in the witness of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist knew that the Messiah's particular mission was to deal with the root cause of everything that's not right with the world, from the breakdown of the natural world to the and the evils of war and oppression right down to our petty jealousies and our pathetic neuroses. Remember what John had said about Jesus. Look, here is the Lamb of God. And the day before these events, recorded just a few verses before our reading tonight, the day before, he says, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's sin, the scriptures say very clearly, that lies beneath all the wrongs of the world, that we long to be made right. And it's the taking away of sin that allows everything to be put right again. And if dealing with sin is at the heart of finding what our hearts most desire, then that means that there are going to be things about us, things in us, that also need to be set right. It means that perhaps even our wants, our desires, the very things that we're seeking need to change and be refined. And so Jesus' question here as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, forces us to explore not just what we want, but whether or not we want the right things, and even if we do, if we want them in the right way. And that leads us into our second point, Jesus' humbling invitation. What do you want is the big question that Jesus asks, the first words that the word in flesh speaks in this gospel. His next words are an invitation, An invitation which contains in itself the solution to all of those longings, all our wants, all our seekings, all our our lookings for. And his invitation is simple. It's come and see. Uh, Look again with me at that encounter between Jesus and the disciples. Uh, In verse 38, we read, When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What do you want? And the two disciples have an answer. Kind of. They kind of have an answer. But it's really one of those, let me answer your question with another question kind of answers verse 38 they respond to him rabbi which translated means teacher where are you staying uh, rabbi is a, a to respect for a, a wise teacher a, a sage and the way it worked in the first century was if you wanted to learn from a wise man like this you'd go and stay with them at their house their disciples would gather there they would distill their wisdom to those who were listening and so the response of Andrew and his friend here is actually a respectful way of saying to Jesus well what we're looking for actually is what we think you might be And so we want to come to wherever it is that you're staying to learn from you and and maybe become your disciples. And so Jesus says to them, verse 39, Come and see. On the one hand, it's an obvious response, uh, but as is the case so often in the Gospels, the phrase is uh, pregnant with meaning, really. Because Jesus doesn't just say say to them, uh, I'm staying in the tavern off Main Street back in Bethany. He doesn't give them an address or a location. He simply says... Come with me and find out. He doesn't give them a destination. He invites them on a journey. Uh, They will find what they seek, he says, only by going with him, wherever that may be. One of my favourite theologians uh, suggests that the best way to describe the Christian life is as an adventure. Adventures are pretty exciting, right? Uh, And this adventure particularly, I mean, what could be more exciting? We get to walk the road with Jesus. We get to journey through life with the one who in himself is life, who brings grace and truth, who reveals the Father to us, who is the Lord over all things. As we wind our way down through the dark valleys and as we scale the pegs of life, we do that with our Lord by our side. But the thing about an adventure, of course, is that it involves risk. Uh, adventures are a daring undertaking, and, and often when you think about adventures, you, you don't necessarily know the exact route that you're going to take to get to your destination, uh, that's why this invitation that Jesus extends is a, a humbling invitation. It's humbling on the one hand, of course, because, well, you get to be with Jesus. That's, that's amazing that the Lord of the universe will ask us to, to walk the road with him. But what's perhaps even more humbling about it is that uh, to go on this adventure with him means letting him be the one who sets the itinerary, letting him be the one who charts the course, who lays it out on the map. And the thing is, he doesn't always give you the map so that you can see it either. To take up this invitation of Jesus means letting him be the one who knows the destination. It means committing whatever desires, whatever wants, whatever seekings we have into his hands and trusting him with them so that what we want, though good and important, becomes secondary to following him wherever it is that he might lead. Come and see, Jesus says. It's a beautiful imitation. Uh, But really, when you start to think about it, also kind of a, a, a terrifying one on one level. Where will Jesus lead you? What will the journey be like? What might I lose along the way? It's for exactly that reason that we might be tempted to resist going with Jesus. And Jesus extends this invitation, and you can choose to go with Jesus or not to go with Jesus, and the thing is that even as a follower of Jesus, on the road with him, that, that's in essence, in the language of this passage, what a Christian is. Someone who said yes to Jesus, I will come with you. I'll come with you on the road and I'll see where it is that you lead me. But even as a follower of Jesus, now we can take a lot of detours along the way. I think Jesus has kind of taken me in this direction, but I'm just going to go this way a little bit and see what's over here for a little while. And Jesus, our patient Lord, our shepherd, keeps coming back for the stupid sheep and bringing them back onto the right path. There can be lots of detours along the way because often our temptation is to resist where Jesus is leading. And from one angle, that's what the heart of sin is, to choose to go your own way rather than God's way. To seek after the things that you want via another path rather than by trusting that the Messiah has them in hand and so going with him. And it's often the things that we most long for, the things that actually might, if we really listen to Jesus' question, what do you want? Those things that are deepest about us, our deepest longings. It's often those kinds of things that we spend our life seeking and striving for that can easily lead us down the garden path. Seeking security in home ownership rather than following Jesus, finding meaning in career success or in a romantic relationship rather than in following Jesus, or or even perhaps just a vague sense of self-sufficiency Uh, A desire actually to be the one who calls the shots, who determines the destination for yourself rather than letting Jesus take you there. That kind of thing's expressed so often in just little parts of our life because it it turns out we don't have control over very much. But there are some small things we kind of have control over. And sometimes we go, you know, I'm just going to keep that part for myself. I'm not really going to give that thing over to Jesus. We nurse grudges because it feels good rather than letting Jesus change our hearts to help us be forgiving We make financial decisions that we leave unexamined because we know that Jesus might say, do you need that really? Is that the best way to be spending your money? All kinds of sinful habits, of course, that we just willfully ignore until we forget that they might even be sins. It's easy to resist Jesus, even if you're on the path with him. Uh, So there are things that you might lose if you go on this adventure, if you take up this invitation. But the thing you've got to do is to flip the question, right? You need to ask not, not what is it that I might lose if I follow him, but what is it that I might miss out on if I don't? What might I miss out on if I don't follow Jesus on this road and trust him with the destination and with my desires and my wants? Uh, Andrew, here in this passage, seems to think he's found everything that he's ever hoped for in Jesus. I've found the Messiah, he says to his brother. And so after spending a day with him, the first thing that he does is to to go and bring Simon to Jesus so he can meet him too. Notice what happens when Jesus first meets Simon. Verse 42, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Kephas, which is translated Peter. So Jesus sees Simon, and, and literally the Greek here is, a, is an intensive kind of seeing. Again, it's not another word for kind of just like noticing the colour of the leaves or something. He stares intensely at Peter and gives him serious consideration, kind of checks him out, looks him up and down. And what he does is to give him a new name, Peter. Jesus looks at this man and sees not just who he is, Simon, but who he will become as he follows Jesus, Peter. Peter. He sees what it is that Jesus himself will make of him in time. Uh, Essentially, uh, this is the invitation that Jesus is making to all of us. Come, he says, and see what I will make of you. We know actually from the very end of John's Gospel what it would look like for Simon Peter to take up Jesus' invitation, to come with him and see where this adventure might lead. After Jesus was raised to a new life, uh, Jesus said to Peter that he would one day be taken where he does not wish to go. But that in following Jesus, even into his death, he would bring glory to God. The adventure of following Jesus, the path that Peter was set on, was not going to be one that was going to end the way that that he might have wanted it to. His New Year resolutions were not going to end in his death in martyrdom. That's where Jesus was going to take him. But along with the hardships of that road was going to come glory. The glory of God, the glory of the Lord Jesus glory for Peter too as he participates in bringing to light all that is so wonderful about the Lord Jesus to the world so Jesus big question and his humbling invitation uh, come together here if you like with the testimony of John the Baptist uh, the testimony that compels Andrew and the other disciple to go and seek out Jesus here's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world uh, that means really what, what, what John's saying when you draw all these things together is he is the one who can show you what's really going on in your own heart and he's the one who can make your heart new. He's the one who through death and resurrection takes away the sin of the world and then invites you to join him in the adventure of being made right again, being made new yourself from the inside out. And so as he takes you on that adventure, inviting others to follow him too and doing whatever you can to set the world right in small ways and big ones as you go. He is the one who invites you to take the risk of following his lead, knowing that he will make you new in the process, that he will transform you by his spirit so that you shine with his glory. Jesus says, come and see what glory I have in store for you. Uh, as we draw to a close, what what is... All this mean for us, especially now today on New Year's Day, as we gather as God's people, as we hear his word to us, we hear this question from Jesus. What does all this mean for our own hopes and desires for the year ahead? Uh, in short, it's this it means that we need to let Jesus be the one who sets our agenda. And so here's something for you to do this week. Uh, firstly to take up his question What do you want? As a new year begins, allow Jesus to be the one who interrogates your heart and your life. What is it that's really driving you? And have you given those things over into Jesus' hands? Or are there ways, whether small or large, that you've been resisting the adventure that he's called you to? Take up his question, what do you want? And at the same time, take up his invitation, come and see. You don't know what Jesus might lead you, none of us do. But we know that the end of the road is glory. And so pursue your goals, your desires, your plans this year. It's a good thing to do. But hold them with open hands, praying that God will also open the eyes of your heart to see where it is that Jesus is leading you. Be ready to follow him into that probably surprising and unexpected, maybe even delightfully joyful in ways you'd never anticipated, maybe hard things in which you will grow in your knowledge of Jesus' love for you. Follow him there and seek to glorify him in everything. Uh, Really, you might summarise it like this. Uh, At the start of the year, uh, resolve to leave your resolutions somewhat unresolved as you wait to see see what Jesus might do with those desires of your heart. The adventure of following Jesus means risking your own desires for something unknown, but something even more glorious. It means seeking him above all else, so that he might make you new. Uh, But here's the most important thing. Here's the thing that can get you on that road, can help you to resist the temptation to resist Jesus' leadings. the most important thing of all. Which is that no matter how many detours we take on the way, we can always trust him to be there with us and to bring us back. Because the one that we seek has already come seeking us. This is Jesus' testimony about himself in one of the other Gospels. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what Peter discovered. He'd been seeking the Messiah and he, he, Jesus turns up and, and tells him already what his life is going to be. Tells him that he's going to change him. Jesus has been seeking Peter already. And so it is with us. The one who we seek has been seeking us all along and so walks with us on the road and we can trust him. Let's pray that that trust would be the bedrock of our lives this year and every year. Our Father, we give you great thanks and praise for these words of Jesus, these questions that he asks us. Father, we, we long, actually, as hard and difficult as it sometimes is, to have Jesus open up our hearts to reveal to us what's really going on there, to see what it is that really drives us. And so to refine those things and show us how those things might be made even more glorious as we come and see where he might lead us. And so as a new year begins, Father, fill us with faith, with trust and hope in the Lord Jesus, knowing all that he has done in seeking us even to the cross, that we might follow him in newness of life. Father, deepen this trust in us so that we might follow the Lord Jesus wherever he may lead. We ask this in the true and sure, full, uh, heartfelt faith and hope that there will be glory for us when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Fill us with this hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.